0: and we are back with a special edition of radio Warnerd. um it's the paris terror attacks special edition today it's uh monday november 16th i'm mark ames uh you are listening to the radio warner podcast subscription uh based and i'm on the phone right now or on the line with the Warnerd, aka gary bretcher aka john dolan uh john can you hear me Absolutely. Good. Yeah, you sound better this time. Um, so you are now since uh you get around a lot where where are you right now?
1: We're in Budapest, um, which we thought would be very cheap and it is. We have a great apartment and, and the rent is not much, but uh we had a little problem at a at a satellite airport of Istanbul and uh ended up missing our plane and uh it's a long story, but we had to take trains across Europe and uh <laughs> it ate up three of our days and, and most of our cash. I was so going to
0: say not cheap,
1: not cheap at all. Yeah. No.
0: What's up with that? I mean, everything's supposed to be subsidized. There's supposed to be some kind of, um, social democratic paradise there. And yet trains there are incredibly I mean, expensive. I mean,
1: yeah, they are, but, but, uh, this one had a, uh, had those sleeping bunks like mm. in Russian trains and, you know, there's that horrible 10 minutes when the train stops and you hear voices and you think, mm. don't come in here, don't come in here, don't come in here. And in this case, we got very lucky because all these <laughs> laughing and shouting Europeans didn't come in there. And we had the place to ourselves. And after that, you can just lie down and, and feel the the wheels going over the bumps in the rails. And it's a, it's a wonderfully drug-like feeling.
0: Yes. Yeah, I remember that from uh, from Russia. I remember the first yeah. time... I went first class. Uh, it was the very end of the Soviet day, uh, like literally the last month or two of the Soviet Union, uh, from Petersburg, Leningrad, then to uh, Moscow. And because of the weird ruble rate thing, it was like three bucks. And then, um, and then in the early mid '90s, there was this ongoing problem where, um, basically, I think conductors were were in cahoots with, with you know, local criminal gangs, and they would. Um, pump in in the middle of the night in the sleeper wagon speaking of sleeper wagons they'd pump in sleeping gas wow and uh, people would wake up with all their shit stolen and horrible headaches um wow. i think nobody died from it but it happened a lot for a while yeah
1: i wonder if it was the same stuff they used at nordost
0: no that was i know no that was um fentanyl which is right. a, a morphine um
1: Oh yeah, I think there are people yeah. who would be pay who would oh, pay yeah. a lot to be gassed with fentanyl. Yeah, so they, there's
0: this uh, uh, sort of anarchist drug act anti you know whatever anti-war and drug activists in uh, Estonia who just translated my um, Pomerantsev article about the neocons the new uh, neocons into Estonian and um, he's he's been on this subject a lot and he told me that they have this big fentanyl problem in in Estonia, but the government doesn't care. In fact, they 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 sort of have their own uh, war on fentanyl, I guess, because it's mostly confined to the Russian-speaking community. But he said there's this sort of apocryphal, he's not sure if it's a joke or the truth, but that uh, there was a junkie in the theater... Um, when it happened, and he's the only one who didn't fall asleep, and he actually started <laughs> crashing pretty quickly as the cops came in, and he was asking for more fentanyl.
1: So. <laughs> more gas. More gas, no- please. Yeah, I've- I think I saw a Chechen
0: over there, more gas. <laughs> <You> know.
1: <laughs> I, I've known junkies whose, whose big terror was having to go in for surgery because they knew that, you know, if they were given the normal dose of anesthesia or, or a pain-killing medication that... <laughs> They'd be screaming and totally cold sober, and it would be slightly awkward to explain in a place like New Zealand why that was. <laughs>
0: yeah. <clears throat>
1: um, so um,
0: right, and and you know how doctors are too. They would they would only get more sadistic hearing that, yeah. and, and make sure that you really. Well,
1: suffer. yeah, as as someone said in in New Zealand, I knew this woman who had extremely painful endometriosis. She went to Dunedin Hospital in agony and said please give me something for the pain and the nurse there told her in a smug voice if you ask for it that means you want it which mm-hmm. shows really sophisticated comprehension of language a great deal of empathy <laughs> yeah. it's
0: weird with drugs and doctors you have to neg it's like uh, it's like some bad pickup artistry thing you know you have yeah. to neg the drug that you want and then they'll yep. give it to you it's uh, yeah
1: oh no yeah. isn't that addictive yeah, yeah.
0: I don't know about that, you know. I've, I've really heard bad things. Make sure that you just don't give me very much, and you know. Yeah. All right. If, if it has to have a refill, I guess so. But you know, I'm going to throw it away. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I can't do that convincingly.
1: They, <laughs> they see me and they think, "Oh, the drags have entered."
0: <laughs> okay. So, on a more serious note, first of all, um, we wanted to thank. Every uh, everybody for uh, it seems like uh, Patreon is kind of hard to understand because you click a refresh and one second it says we've crossed the twenty five hundred dollars per show barrier which we always said was the trigger to go weekly, and then other times it'll say no it's actually you're at twenty two hundred it it doesn't make sense it must have to do with I don't even know what the hell it has to do with but we're going on the assumption and we noticed a lot more subscriptions just came in over the last sort of thirty six hours. Um, which is which is really music to our ears, because we were very worried when there was a problem getting the uh, uh, the Veterans Day show up in time, and it was delayed, and then all the shit in Paris happened, and nevertheless, it doesn't seem to have hurt, and in fact, we've got a lot more subscribers, so we wanted to say, you know, thank you to everybody, and yes, in December, we will go weekly, right?
1: Yeah, thanks very much to everybody, and and that's the reason why we're doing this show now, because Um, because of the big delay in getting the Veterans Day show up, probably a lot of people thought we'd talk about Paris on that show. And nothing's more frustrating than to wait for people to start talking about what you tuned in for and not getting it. So we'll talk about it now.
0: Yeah, so this is a special show, um, sort of an apology show for you guys. We're also going to sort of test out, you know, things that we want to do in the future anyway, which is when some huge event like like what happened in Paris on um, Friday um, happens. We want to be able to even... You know, do a quick show, put it up. We want to have that flexibility, so we're trying out uh, on a slightly different hosting. Um, and and actually, and this is not going to be something that you have to pay for either, because we're still in for show. Right. We're going to host this, I think, on the Exiled Online uh, website and uh, servers, and Yasha has it figured out. Um, so this is free, but we'll first blast it out to our subscribers through the um, you know through the mass email thing, and then we'll let others know um so again thanks to everybody and and uh so this show is sort of it's 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 you know for you guys for coming through and um uh you know making this happen and then it's also to try to test test out a new way of making sure we can get this stuff up and out quicker okay so on to um the paris you know the isis attack um in in paris um so tell me Warnerd. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah. you've got, it's. it seems almost like the culmination of so many different things that you've been writing about different strands from on the one hand, you're the way you've talked about the profiling of the typical jihadi or any and, and the foreign jihadi, um, the way you've been talking about ISIS and um, Syria and so on. So, I, I mean, I guess first, let's just start off. What what happened? um How do you make sense of what happened?
1: Yeah, well, I'm sure most people have some idea of the basic events, but um, just to wrap them up again really quickly, last Friday night uh, there was a series of coordinated attacks in Paris. The most interesting thing about the attacks tactically is that they used primarily Kalashnikovs rather than bombs, although explosives were also used. And one thing that I actually thought about writing and then thought, you know, as a public service, I shouldn't write this, is that, as a rule, guns work better than bombs. Bombs are very tricky things. They either don't blow up at all or they blow up the bomb maker most of the time. Um, They are somewhat better when you've had some experience, and some of these people did have experience in Syria, but bombs are still very tricky business. Guns are an old technology that's been perfected long ago. Any idiot can pull a trigger. And with a Kalashnikov uh, firing controlled bursts uh, with someone who's had some combat experience, as some of these people did, you can kill an awful lot of people with guns. And we we saw that, too. And, you know, there have been a lot of attempts at uh, bombing attacks in the U.S. and in the U.K., and most of them fail spectacularly. But when someone just... Gets a couple of handguns, like the uh, guy at Fort Hood, and just walks mm-hmm. through in, in a typical office massacre of the kind that you profiled Mark mm-hmm. in, in going postal. Those almost always work. You know, uh, you, you bring more than one gun. If one jams, you use the other one. You um, you will kill a lot of people. And th- yeah. this was a group of. Uh, we're not sure how many people maybe 10, something like that, of people directly participating in the attacks. When you have 10 men with Kalashnikovs and suicide explosive vests on, uh, driving around Paris in a car looking for venues where people are sitting outside, crowded, you're going to kill a lot of people. So -hmm. that's what happened. First, uh, the biggest part of the attack that didn't work very well was the huge football match a friendly match as they say in europe they use the word friendly in a strange way in european soccer it often means you know like our fans are going to kick your fans to death after the game but it's still friendly yeah. which i think means something like pre-season in nfl terms it you know? also
0: means we're not going to do world war one again over this yeah. yeah
1: yeah that's true that's yeah, yeah that's what we do instead um, so there was a big match between, uh, France and Germany Friday night. Hollande and, uh, some German minister were there watching. Um, that, at, at around 9.20 PM, uh, while the match was in progress, the first suicide bomber tried to enter the stadium. I mean, it's a perfect setup for killing lots of people. If you remember back to the, uh if you're old enough to remember a 1970s American movie called Black Sunday. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh Bruce Dern is is carefully putting roofing nails into a giant Zeppelin bomb that he's going to use to blow up the Super Bowl. I mean, you've got God knows how many tens of thousands of people packed into a small area. It's it's a a made-to-order target. Anyway, Mm -hmm. this guy got patted down by a security guard whose name was Zohair, which is a Muslim name, Mm -hmm. and the security guard said, and this is the interesting part to me said no you can't come in <laughs> mm. <laughs> as opposed to like ah kill him shoot him <laughs> uh and the guy apparently backed off and detonated his vest right there um and as far as i know there weren't a lot of casualties from from that at the same time there was a group of three men in uh including uh the abdul salm brothers from brussels from this uh jihadist um, district called Molenbeek near Brussels, who were driving around in a car looking for targets, and they had AKs. And this is a lethal method. I mean, it it has a lot of American rage murder Mm -hmm. in it. You know, you just drive around with a semi-automatic rifle or two looking for targets, and it's Friday night. Paris is out enjoying itself. So they find a Cambodian restaurant on one side of the street, a bar on the other side of the street, just five minutes after the first bomb went off outside the stadium, and they just spray the Cambodian restaurant, then they spray uh, the bar across the street, Le Carillon. And uh, someone who played dead there said that after five minutes of constant firing, there was just silence. Mm. Everybody was either dead or pretending to be dead. Um, They drive off. Uh, at that point, a second bomber detonates outside the stadium where the football match is going on. And again, these bombs didn't get into the stadium. The security there was good. Uh, and the bombers seemed to almost have lost their nerve. I mean, the, it's a very beckety thing, you know, to be a suicide bomber outside your target. And, like, yeah. it, it's almost like being... Um, face-controlled at Moscow, you know? What, what if they don't let me in? Um, and they didn't let me in. And, and this weird Becky suicide bomber, the second one in a row, wanders outside the stadium and blows himself up. And that was so close, though, that apparently players on the field heard it. And some player... Well, you can
0: see the video of it where you can hear
1: it. Yeah.
0: Uh-huh.
1: I haven't heard that yet, but okay. that's, it sounds like the players on the field could hear it, which yep. means... that Because they have pretty intense concentration, and to yeah. break that it must have been pretty damn loud. So you've seen it, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, there's one where they don't seem to have heard it, and then there's another where they do seem to have heard
1: it, yeah. Yeah, it was the second one, apparently, yeah. the, that they heard. That's what I've been reading, anyway. And then this car is still going around. These guys brought a lot of guns, they brought a lot of ammunition.
0: Um, so I, I let me stop you here real quickly, because I, already, yeah, a few scenarios come up. Um, one is uh, Chechens, um, and we'll probably come back to this a, a couple of times, but uh I can't remember the name of the of the rock festival in Moscow, but in 2004, oh, yeah. and uh four, I believe it was. I I think Iggy Pop was playing at it. It was a really really big festival out in Tushino. Um yeah. and It was like
1: gonna, July the fourth or something, right? Wasn't yeah,
0: it? it was uh one yeah, yeah it, was it was something like it was was a wasn't big,
1: ju- a big American festival that I was at and somebody told me there that there'd been attacks on this other one elsewhere. Right. So
0: Right. Um, and uh, and so there was there were two suicide bombers. Um, I think both of them were women, both the Shahid, uh, the um, black widows. Whatever. Um, black women, yeah. And one of them. And I think they had sort of men controlling them and, and pressing the button, blowing them up. So one blew up at the entrance, killed some people. And the other one waited somewhere else. But they but they were there where there was a crowd. And it sounds like these guys might not have timed it right. Right. Or whatever, and they, um or maybe they just didn't figure they were going to blow them up while everyone was waiting to get in. They were going to blow them up, um, yeah. yeah, inside the stadium.
1: Yeah, it's as if they were late for the game or yes, something, which, which is odd because the rest of the planning seems to have been pretty good. And you know that, although a lot of terms are getting tossed around, now, like mastermind and grand plan, it's 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 not that difficult to kill civilians in a crowded city. I mean, mm-hmm. we. Earlier forms of what we call terrorism often went to absurd lengths to avoid killing random civilians, mm-hmm. and and people don't understand how much easier it is if you're not merely not trying to avoid killing civilians but actively trying to kill anyone you see. Um, and that's what's going on here. So it, it shouldn't have been very difficult. Whatever happened outside the stadium was, was just a, a big fiasco. Well,
0: I, I was going to say the one other thing that on and, and a different uh, operation that the Chechens did, the Nordos, the theater in, in 2002, they set off some car bombs. I think one of them had killed a cop or something way out at the edge of like yeah. Len, Leninsky Prospekt. And that would turn out to be a diversion. Right. So all the cops and all the FSB and everybody went there. And that yeah. helped draw... Um, no one was even thinking about Nordos, the theater uh, where they had the musical in the center of town where they took 900 hostages. So that was that was a diversion. I wondered if maybe this was... I don't think it was, uh, now that I think, but, but at first I thought, well, maybe that was a diversion for the real attack in the center. But it yeah. seems more like different s- strategies just sort of throw everything against the wall and you know, yeah. see what works. Take right? 10
1: guys, throw some different strategies yeah. in there, mix, mix guns and explosives. I mean... Paris is a huge city. All this is happening so far. What I've described is happening within a a 12 minute period. And there's no police force in the world that can lock down a whole giant city in 12 Mm -hmm. minutes. So you, you've got these guys driving around. They, they were just looking for targets. They don't even necessarily know where they're going to go. Meanwhile, there's these guys at the stadium and the big thing is coming up and that's the attack on that, uh, music venue, mm-hmm. uh, but a clan. But anyway, so the, 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 car drives on, hits a pizza place, shoots a lot of people there. Another place stops, pulls up, very simple, pulls up, gets out of the car, starts shooting, um, 19 people dead at this restaurant called La Belle Equipe. Uh, and then the big one around 10 minutes, to 10 PM, uh, they, uh, three guys, uh, although there were rumors about four, I don't really know. Three guys with uh, Kalashnikovs and suicide vests walk into the Bataclan um, theater where some band, I don't know about, called Eagles of Death Metal is mm-hmm. playing. You, you know music a lot better than I do, Mark. Do I, know don't no,
0: no, I'm, I don't know what the kids are into anymore. Yeah, crazy, those so. crazy kids.
1: Yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, that was the, the most lethal of all the attacks. Mm-hmm. And it it stands to reason. You know, security at a, at a sort of funky music place is not going to be as effective as it would be at a major football stadium. So they just started firing as they walked in and if there was any security any you know ex-boxer doormen or whatever they're not going to do much against a kalashnikov. So they just walked in um shooting changing clips shooting um uh then took hostages and uh At that point, only four minutes after these guys walk into the uh, Bataclan music venue, a third bomb goes off outside the stadium. And again, it does not kill many people. The Mm -hmm. the bombs at the stadium were the big failure of Mm -hmm. the operation. I think they were meant to be the ones with the highest kill total. Mm -hmm. But instead, it ended up being the three uh, guys with Kalashnikovs and and vests at the Bataclan because this, this, you know big packed crowd. People, as they always do, and this is one of the weird 21st century features of these uh, atrocities, they thought, quote, thought it was part of the show.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: mm-hmm. like, uh, I guess, you know, uh, I don't know. They eventually realized it wasn't part of the show when people started falling around them. And well, there's a,
0: a video people- where you can see the band members, you, you hear the gunfire starting, and it only takes them a few seconds to realize or at least a couple of them something bad's going on and the drummer yeah. suddenly ducks and the bass player sort of scrambles off the stage
1: well they would have had the advantage in that right, way, right? if you're in the band you know what's in the show and what's right. not in of course the show. yeah if you're in the audience you think <laughs> yeah. whoa uh, yeah. and uh so i mean it it gives you an interesting insight into like what decadent aesthetics really mean and don't mean like eagles of death metal you know Mm -hmm. there's there's real death and there's metal and they're Uh,
0: not a death metal band by the way they're an indie band and it looked like the singer has some kind of like ironic zz top beard or something and
1: yeah i heard he has opinions too singers always have opinions like evolution is a lot of crap you have to believe in talking monkeys and Mm. oh god yeah yeah one of the one of the worst things is that now this guy is getting he was, he's a Trump fan. He, like, he's
0: oh not, no, really? Oh.
1: Seriously, yeah. Uh, he's all right. got all kinds of publicity for his idiot opinions. Um, you have to wonder, you know. In fact, if if the band manager is thinking, mm-hmm. hey, this be good for Eagles of Death Metal, yeah, I hate I hate to say it, but it probably is. Mm-hmm. So finally, the cops who've um, waited outside for a couple of hours attack uh, this Bataclan theater at about 20 minutes past midnight, uh, and two of the uh, attackers uh, throw explosives at their hostages, killing several more hostages, and uh, 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 and blow themselves up. And the third one is um, shot before he can blow himself up. Uh, after that, there's basically... Uh, a pretty chaotic hunt for the survivors because clearly they were there were survivors. One of them is one of the uh, Abduslam brothers from the suburbs of Brussels, uh, Salah, and as far as I know, he's still on the run right now. Uh, meanwhile, there have been massive crackdowns all over France and. Belgium, although you have to wonder what a Belgian crackdown is like. Belgium is a very murky place, and who knows what's really going on. They seem on. pretty
0: mean, too, though, in their own way. I mean, they're, yeah. they're twisted and mean, Yeah. you know.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, now we can draw back from that, because that's what happened, basically. The total dead, as far as I know right now, is 129. But, you know, those figures are kind of cruel, because there are a lot of people who aren't dead, but aren't going to be having much of a life either. Um, um, you've interviewed people who were hit by Kalashnikovs, right? For the going postal book. And um,
0: was it a Kalashnikov? I'm trying to remember if it was a Kalashnikov or not. Uh,
1: yeah, in Kentucky.
0: Um, yeah, it might have been actually. No, I, I forgot. I think you're right though. Yeah, he. Uh, I mean, well, he he got a, a decent payout. Um, one of the guys that I talked to, who was a, a foreman at the at the at the uh, Kentucky the Louisville uh, Courier Journal printing. It's where the first major workplace massacre took place um, in 1989. Yeah, he had some some seriously deep scars and uh, some pain, uh, but. Uh, um I don't know. He was a pretty weirdly chipper guy. I liked him a lot. <laughs> Very chipper. I wouldn't have been chipper. Yeah. Um,
1: uh, I don't think I'd be chipper either. But anyway, there's, yeah. when when 129 people die in a gun attack, there there are going to be dozens of uh, oh yeah, paralysis yeah. Yes. Um, amputation, other maiming. Uh, it, it's it's going to be a lot worse than it it sounds if you just stop counting at those who actually die.
0: Yeah, I, I think there was one of the witnesses said that they saw for the first time what a bullet really can do and you know they're 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 just horrified like i mean bullets in movies yep. you know you get to still stay you can still be a hero and you blather all kinds of speeches with a romantic yeah. wo- little little hole but yeah real bullets
1: no well yeah, you can't bullets. see bullets you can see yeah. an axe coming at you and that's yeah. why axes are more cinematic but an axe has absolutely nothing like the power of a bullet um, you're talking about a slug of soft metal being sent at you at a speed so fast that well, you can't see it, and uh, that's going to do a lot more damage than merely getting hit with an axe or some nice evil-looking medieval weapon. So there's I, a reason.
0: Go ahead. Uh, yes, yeah, so I, I was going to say though, like one of the, one of the things that this uh, you talked about guns versus um, bombs. Not to be overly crude here, but. There there does always seem to be I mean, it makes sense, I guess, having having studied a lot of the the rage killings. I mean, look at um first of all, I, I've noticed that a lot of these guys, especially the high school rage killers, like like the Columbine guys, they really are into sort of using pipe bombs and something like that. They want explosives. They never yep. do anything in the explosives. That's nope. the first thing. The second thing is it it's actually a lot harder to kill people if you don't know what you're doing, you don't have experience with it. They scramble everywhere. They scramble in all kinds of places. So if you if you have a larger field, whereas if you go into an enclosed place that only has, you know, a couple of defined entrance exits, you can do an enormous amount of killing, like the guy in the Aurora Theater, like uh, Cho, uh, the, um, uh, Virginia Tech. Um,
1: uh, there was a guy long ago who walked through a McDonald's near San Diego right. and, think, yes. and just – um, shot everyone in the head, and yeah. they were too terrified to move. Right, and yeah. the cops sat outside doing nothing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and these these were very determined people. Everyone who described seeing them uh, while they were doing this said they were very cold and determined, and they did something that a lot of people who are you know committing their first mass murder don't do, which is shoot what seemed to be corpses. They were mm. putting a couple of bullets in every body on the ground that mm. they passed. Just in case it was. So you couldn't
0: fake death. Some of them probably tried faking death and got.
1: Yeah, that was probably a lesson they learned in Syria. Yeah. If if you're going over a battlefield where you've apparently won, you uh, make sure all the dead are really dead. And uh, so people, you know, tried playing dead. That didn't work. And people at this last venue, Bataclan, uh, couldn't get out the the main entrance on the street. So they crawled over bodies toward the stage and. that didn't work very well. Uh, some of them hit upstairs, and eventually, because the cops took a long time coming in, mm. as cops tend to do, yes. uh, they went upstairs and started shooting people up mm. there. So it, it was a pretty nasty scene. Yeah. And so now, okay, why why did this happen? There 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 are, there are sensible versions of why did this happen, and then there are not sensible versions of why did this happen. And the not sensible versions, which you get a lot of, if you are um, on social media is you know aren't we all just nice people and how could somebody ever want to do such a thing and they must have been provoked and whatever um <sighs> there there are certain ideas about human psychology especially the psychology of young males uh in there which uh are somewhat untenable but but let's let's deal with something a little more reasonable which is why did why did this happen right now why in paris um and the first thing to deal with is uh what's going on in syria and iraq because s- some of these people had been in syria and iraq that that much is clear the 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 two that that keep coming up um are uh this this guy uh um oh, what's his name uh, abuad uh the the so-called mastermind of this whole attack. Mm-hmm. Um, Abdelhamid Hamid Abouad, uh, a Belgian who looks more like a class clown than a mastermind. He's, you know, this sort of skinny, big- big-nosed kid with a big smile. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he was supposedly sent back by Islamic State to um, launch an attack against Paris. And the guy who apparently sent him is Salen uh, Ben-Ghalem uh, a French national of uh, northern African origin most of these people are either Moroccan or Algerian I mean I, I was with you in thinking this looks Chechen but so far I don't see a lot of Chechen no, um, no th- I agree yeah um, it's it's uh, mainly Belgian uh Maghrebi north africans that network. it was the
0: theater thing that had me thinking it was yeah. it was the sort of i thought uh, the diversion on the outside of town at the, at the stadium and then taking the theater but they again what was very different from the chechens is they went in there to kill as many people as possible immediately and not to yep. uh yep. negotiate for something yeah
1: yeah no the the chechens I, re- I remember in moscow the chechens kept those hostages for a long time mm-hmm. and in case you wondered why we were talking about fentanyl gas uh the, the siege at the Nordos Theater in Moscow ended when uh the the the, Moscow, the Russian security forces pumped in uh gas with this very powerful synthetic opiate fentanyl in it and uh then went in and killed uh all the Chechen hostage takers. Uh unfortunately while they were sleeping we come, not while at they all. were sleeping. Yeah. yeah. But in in a sort of typical Russian security move they felt that the the nature of the gas they'd used was a state security secret, right. so they didn't tell the Moscow hospitals how to treat the people who were showing up there with yeah. fentanyl overdoses. So, as I recall, about 120 of them died. Yeah, yeah it was one.
0: brutal. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, anyway, so um, there's a Syrian link to this, or there's an Islamic State, Al Qaeda link, uh, at any rate. I mean, I, I yes. know there's there's a lot of blather about Islamic State and Al Qaeda as being Enemies and and at executive level, that's true. But not all this happens at an executive level. And if right. you've mixed in jihadist circles for a long time, you you tend not to worry about that at the foot soldier level that right. we're dealing with here. Um, and things have been going rather badly for Islamic State in Syria and Iraq lately. I mean, first of all, uh, the Russian air force entered the war uh, at the beginning of September, and it's been acting in concert with Assad's forces, which the U.S. Air Force never did, Mm -hmm. which meant that aside from the Kurds, who we can only half-heartedly back, the U.S. has effectively no ground troops to coordinate with. The Russian Air Force actually does have ground troops to coordinate with. um, Hezbollah especially, and the Iraqi Shia militias, which have been getting uh, flown in with some Iranian financial aid. So, uh, the the Russians and the Shia have been taking back a lot of really important territory around Aleppo, uh, with the help of Russian bombs, um, and Hezbollah has been has been coming out of it particularly well. Hezbollah is the, the real muscle of the Shia in Syria, and um, it, besides that, there was the uh, drone killing of so-called Jihadi John, Muhammad al-Wazi, the uh, Yemeni, British, wherever, uh, spokesperson with the knife and the the kneeling prisoners who got uh, obliterated a few days ago. And it isn't that he matters much in himself, but um, when you've uh, Mm -hmm. made somebody into your... Your logo, your face on the uh, internet—you don't want to lose him, and especially in such a humiliating way. There's something kind of depressing about being killed like a bug by a drone, and that's what happened to him. Right. Um, Why? So why France, though? Why attack France? I mean, (laughs) like the old joke about dogs licking their assholes because they can. I mean. you, these are not. This is a Maghrebi network, a North African network. It can't attack Russia. <laughs> in fact, even the Chechen networks are having enough trouble in Russia, are just surviving right now. They're, they don't seem able to mount any big attacks right now. And a lot mm-hmm. of their best people have moved to the Middle East, where the Russians are still pursuing them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the reasons the Russian Air Force went in, to kill those Chechens before they can come home. So Russia is not attackable. Um, the U.S. is also a, a fairly hard target. There there aren't a lot of uh, links there. There's not a, a big community to work with. Uh, but France is part of the EU, and it's a short drive from Brussels. I mean, I, I remember I once took a bus from Paris to Brussels, and it's, it's just a nice, easy drive over flat farmlands. And the EU has very lax border restrictions, so you can... Get from Brussels to Paris easily, and, and the uh, the place these guys come from is the now famous, otherwise undistinguished Brussels neighborhood of Molenbeek. Uh, there, there have been a lot of links to uh, Molenbeek in other attacks. You will remember mm-hmm. over the summer that uh, train attack or that attempted train attack? Um,
0: oh, right. Uh, where the American the the Marines yeah, yeah jumped the guy and,
1: yeah yeah that was August 2015 Th- these I, I have to admit those guys were pretty cool yeah three, three American uh, ex service guys jumped this uh, other Maghribi that is North African French guy uh, Belgian French guy they saw coming down the aisle of a train uh, disarmed him um, and there, there've always been links. With the Moroccan and Algerian community in this uh, neighborhood of Molenbeek, I mean, uh, Belgium is a, is a strange place.
0: Uh, so I was going to say, you know, a friend of ours who who we both know, who's um, a French um, author and translator and so on, and he worked for a little while in Brussels um, as a translator for, um, uh, I think, for the for the government even, and he you know, and he knows Russian, and he said there's, there's a lot of there's one part of that area has thousands of Chechen refugees as well. And there are areas where he said the police just don't even go into. It. It's like a a, yeah. a no man's. They just won't go into, it, I guess, unless they're going to mount some kind of massive operation. Um, and so it's kind of their own autonomous territory. But he also just sort of theorized that that there's a kind of tacit understanding that these guys will not be you know basically um flushed out completely and, and 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 attacked and so on um so long as they don't do any of their attacks within Belgium and you know there there are always these kinds of sleazy little deals going on all over the world i mean uh, I, if i remember right, that that Spielberg movie uh, Munich about the israeli about the mossad agents who go and try to kill the the palestinian uh terrorists from the from uh, the munich games um there's this one scene where um, I can't remember what has somehow an American. I'm Trying to remember, but, but basically some American spook um, protects. Uh, I think he winds up protecting a Palestinian because there's some kind of deal going on where the where the PLO doesn't shoot any Americans, and so the Americans won't directly go after the PLO at that time.
1: uh-huh yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Well, I I I think a lot of terrorists or so-called terrorist groups make yeah like that effectively, yeah. um, at, with with various agencies, and and it seems to work. And there are there are other factors in in Belgium too. Like <laughs> Belgium's a mess. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's there's that bitter divide, and I don't know. I think I think it's kind of hard for Americans to understand this sort of divide between people to who to us you know all look alike but uh there's there's this bitter divide between the uh french-speaking uh walloon population of southern belgium and the uh dutch-speaking flemish population of northern belgium and brussels happens to be just inside the the dutch-speaking area Mm. and although there are many uh Muslim immigrants in Belgium who speak French, there are very, very few who speak Dutch because mm. French is still kind of a word lang- world language. And, and Dutch and in the Middle East, too. And in the Middle East, right. yeah, big language there, yeah. But Dutch isn't. So uh, we're talking about mainly um, Muslim North African immigrants from uh, Brussels. And it's not exactly that, as far as I can tell, these people are persecuted in any dramatic or cinematic way. They're not hunted down on the streets. They're not... Uh, blatantly discriminated against, but they're not much part of anything either. Mm-hmm. They sort of exist in their own world. They're not speaking the language of the region. And uh, there there have been some interesting interviews with people who left Belgium to go to the Middle East, and a lot of them do. They have the highest rate of jihadi recruitment of any European country. Mm-hmm. Although, keep in mind, it's not really that high. It's about one recruit for every 1,300 Muslim Belgians. Mm-hmm. That's. It's not like everybody's gone to Syria. Right. Um, but anyway... Um, well, it one speaks of the, about this, how
0: dull it is there, in a sense. That's it? what I mean. this guy...
1: You're exactly right, because yeah. that's what this interview said. It's boring in Belgium. Yeah. Um, you, you play football with your friends, uh, you get your dole check, you hang around, and you're not really going anywhere, you're not going to starve, but you don't amount to anything either. Whereas if you go to uh, the Middle East uh, as a jihadi, I mean, one one thing I I keep wanting to say, although it's probably not a safe thing to say, is um, we we treat that that urge as some kind of anomaly. But I remember being a young male myself, Mm -hmm. and not one of the happier ones who ever existed. And I don't find that so anomalous. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if I'd been given an ethno sectarian grudge of that magnitude, I don't think I'd be here today.
0: Be all that you can be. I mean, doesn't that really doesn't that appeal to the same sensibility of like of of realizing your your. I don't know. Yeah, they had another young male potential. One man army,
1: right? You're a one man army. It's like okay, Um, that that has a lot of appeal. If you're 20 and you're not going to be the next big physicist, Mm -hmm. and you're not going to be the next big rock star, and you know you maybe tried to be a rapper for like five weeks and Mm -hmm. everybody laughed at you, I mean, what what are you going to do? And and. You have the chance to be some sort of knight errant, as you imagine it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there are other interviews with people from much poorer countries who have much more direct motives, like, "Oh, please, son, come home to Cairo." No, I was a shoe cleaner in Cairo. I'm I'm a warlord here. Why should I come home? My 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 sons will be warlords here. You know, um,
0: I, I I seem to remember when I wrote about Joshua Faust, that um, that military contractor guy who. Uh, Picked a fight, a stupid fight, with me over the Kazakhstan massacre, and um, and I looked into his past, and and he, when he before he became this kind of a neocon. I mean, he's now like a respected, I guess, um, uh, you know, analyst on on defense matters. Um, but before, when he was still trying to make it, and he was kind of going nowhere academically, um, and he became, he got really into into being a neocon troll um, uh, in the in the peak Bush years. And, he, and in one sort of confession blog post, which he um, tried erasing, uh, he said something to the effect of, you know, if I can't be basically a superhero, um, the next best thing is being a supervillain, which, right. which is kind of like a superhero. Yep. Um, and and make p- other happy people's lives hell. It's a very common, very common. Very, very common. Com-
1: very <laughs> very yeah. common. I yeah. mean, it's it's the hidden norm. And uh, in, in most cases... Um, People can be bought off that dream, or that dream can be channeled into something that yes. serves the purposes of of some bigger group or bigger authority, and and maybe that's what's happening here. Because after all, the, these people who dream of being warlords are not going to be warlords. Mm-hmm. They're not they're not going to survive. Frankly, um, very few of them are going to come back from Syria alive, and those mm-hmm. who do will not not have particularly stellar lives either. Mm-hmm. But that is the dream, and it's not such a strange dream. I mean. Part of part of the reason that that places like Australia are doing so well with this is that there there's this besieged, angry migrant culture that that these guys come from. But outside of that is Australian culture, which is also really macho with a big Commonwealth tradition of going somewhere far away and fighting mm. in wars that don't really concern you at all. That's that's a tradition that goes way back there. Mm. So it's it's not that hard to figure out. Um, to me, you know, the 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 forgiving attitude of Paris, like, uh, let's have tolerance, is is much harder to understand. I personally would be angry. Yes, uh, I, I understand anger much much better than I understand forgiveness, which is a, a mechanism I've never quite grasped. Um, but anyway, so th- I I don't think there is any big mystery about why these guys did it, and I don't think you have to do uh elaborate western liberal self-flagellation about it either it's kind of normal young lower middle class disaffected male response yeah. I mean, years ago it was lower middle class surplus whites doing this to other people now you know the birth rates have changed the economies have changed the flow has changed slightly but it's not happening on nearly the same scale as happening then it's right. it's still a fairly minor phenomenon um but um
0: so that but the, what you describe also though you know i think w- what bothers people people want solutions especially anglo-americans everything has a problem you identify it and then there's a solution and there really is no solution uh except to you know i don't know you know uh, put estrogen in in the water what <laughs> young males drink out of or something yeah. but um um uh, like there there's no real solution to that they're just sort of um A a price to pay for an otherwise, you know, first world life, I guess. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, yeah,
1: that's the most complicated and difficult and interesting thing about this. What will this do? I mean, I I kept going back, and one thing I want to talk about a a bit further is the really fascinating history of terrorist attacks in Paris. But the more I, I the reason I started looking at those is to see, okay, what what's this gonna accomplish? What's gonna happen? And the best answer I can come up with is very little. Um very little is gonna change. I mean, if you get a major, highly publicized, so-called terrorist attack at a time when political control is shifting from one internal faction to the other, like 9-11. 9-11 gave a great deal of power to uh, some very stupid extreme right-wing elements in the U.S. and in that way did a lot of harm to the U.S. Now you can say Osama bin Laden cleverly knew all that and exploited that and had that in mind, wanted to provoke a massive overreaction. I'm not sure that's true. That gives him an awful lot of credit. Mm. Um, he had the opportunity through very sleazy relations between the American elite and the Saudi elite to right. do this attack. Just like these guys in Brussels had the opportunity to do this attack on Paris because it was there and an easy drive away. Mm-hmm. I, I think that has much more to do with what gets hit and how it gets hit. Right. Um, if, if they'd had their druthers they probably would have hit Moscow but that just wasn't going to happen. I mean they've never dealt with a Russian border control clerk. My god wouldn't get anywhere. Yeah. Um, so um, it, it's just a matter of opportunity. The motive is, is pretty much a given. Uh, the opportunity is there. And Kalashnikovs are easy to get. Supposedly uh, in, in Brussels, which has always been a center of arms trade, and I mean for mm-hmm, centuries, mm-hmm. you can get a Kalashnikov for $1,000. Um, what you really need, what's really difficult to obtain for most people, is uh, soldiers who are willing to uh, throw their lives away. And, and that's not a problem here. These guys were more than willing to throw their lives away. Um, But I I was thinking of an interesting footnote to. And as you said, I'm
0: sorry, as you said earlier, I mean, there are, it's a lot more common than people want to admit openly that there are a lot, there's a large pool of 16 to 25 year old males who are not part of the upper 10% in any culture uh, looking to die gloriously.
1: I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, I. I was one. Yeah, I, I, I can't lie about that. And uh, I just didn't have the context. Mm-hmm. Thank God. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, if the context had been provided, you'd be talking to me from beyond the grave. This would have to be a séance. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, the the only.
0: Spirit, yeah. <laughs> tell us. Go do it, put it
1: down, go watch a movie. <laughs> meet a
0: woman, Spirit, meet a girl. <laughs> yeah. um,
1: the only exception I can think of right now to that, that Belgian thing is the attack on the Brussels Jewish Museum and mm. Holocaust Center. And it's pretty easy to imagine that you know that was against another minority group and mm-hmm. it might not have offended the powers that be right belgium particularly that would have been something between the jews and the muslims right because that's the only major terrorist attack in belgium that, that I can think of recently so this that's one conspiracy theory that has a certain plausibility but you know it also goes along with the complete decentralization of everything in in belgium and the uh deep hatred between the the two groups that make up the majority of the country and mm-hmm. you know there, there's been a lot of sleaze going on there there's there's something wrong with the Belgian police force remember the that whole series of atrocious yeah. sex murder crimes yeah. involving children in Belgium and and the cops were warned over and over again and nobody did anything about it it's just uh a very loose place. A very mm. good place to be if you're trying to set up a, a network of insurgents. And the French, given that they have a very large North African Muslim population, have actually done you know a pretty decent job of infiltrating stuff. But it's hard when you've got Belgium right over the border to control mm. everything.
0: Um, but that's it's interesting that Belgium, that Brussels is the it's the seat of um, the EU and of NATO. Yeah. You know.
1: Yeah, that's true. There. I, I mean, there there was a time when NATO's big fear was Spetsnaz targeting, you know, their their Brussels installation. And mm-hmm. there's something quaint about remembering that now. You know, such a nice organized theory of warfare. It's, yeah. it's our organization versus their organization, and we're both highly funded and organized, and we have all these rules. And-
0: or some kind of red brigades, or or you know, yeah.
1: They, yeah. Are- well, that's that's what I was trying to think of. What you know, what did decades of terrorist attacks on various European cities accomplish I mean uh, my friend Annabale in in Italy uh, has been having someone else translate uh, 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 an Italian novel from Turin about the effect of the Red Brigade's um, campaign in Turin because Turin and Genova were the two big centers he tells me of Red Brigade's activity because they have this long leftist tradition mm-hmm. and uh, what happened mainly is it kind of made a lot of people's lives miserable mm-hmm. uh, he knew someone who was picked up just for going to a couple of meetings because her boyfriend was interested in it you know that happens to a lot of women you know they they associate with some idiot guy who goes to the wrong meetings and, and she ended up in prison for something like ten years and she's
0: just for so, going to a meeting.
1: Yeah, she was totally ruined when she came out. And uh, it it ruins a lot of individual lives. But as for what it did to Turin or what it did to Italy, I don't see that it did very much at all, uh, except make life a lot harder for people. Um,
0: for the I left, especially. I mean, um, yeah. well, look, what did all of the left-wing revolutionary terror in America... I mean, forget that the 70s, I think, was the greatest period of, of revolutionary bombing at least in, in the history of yeah. America. Um, the yeah. first half of the seventies, especially when we when I grew up I grew up there was there were bombings every day in the Bay Area practically. One of my yeah. aunts was bombed. Um, you know the the, Patty That's Hurst, right. the SM- world Yes. Ladies
1: and gentlemen, Mark Ames had an aunt who was bombed by the New World Liberation Front. Yeah,
0: and she was pretty horrible, I'd say. <laughs> but but those guys were even worse. The the leader of that it was one of these, you know, three man armies or something that did enormous amount of bombing, uh, actually. But uh, one day he just took an axe and cut off his wife or partner or whatever's head uh, with the axe. I mean. They, I mean, like, like you said, I think some of these, these angers were able to be channeled into left-wing revolutionary activity where they, in another time, it might have been something else. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but that achieved nothing except giving us Reagan, as far as I can tell.
1: Yeah, generally, the only truism I could come up with is left-wing or, or alien-seeming terrorism is really good for right-wing populist regimes. I mean, the, the classic example being Putin. Putin Mm -hmm. did extremely well out of the apartment bombings in 1999. I mean, even now there's a lot of argument in Russia about who did those apartment Mm bombings, because, uh, I mean, there were, as far as I know, Mark, you'd know better than me, but as far as I know, there were some signs of FSB involvement. Yes, there
0: were. the, The only thing, you know, I would say that, me personally, I think that the chances are, at least in some of them, that they were involved, and there definitely were deep contacts between some Kremlin, Berezovsky, Evesby, Sirkov people, and some of the radical um, Chechens, and they were having their own internal struggle at the time. So th- they had their own reasons to want to bring the war um, into a different place. Uh, so Vasayev right. was sort of battling with Maschadov, who was supposedly the moderate, but Maschadov had already like declared Sharia law everywhere. I mean, was, things were going really bad. And so I think at first the Chechens... I mean, the Chechens, you know, the the more extreme ones led by Basayev and um, Khatab uh, set off some of the apartment bombs like in in Dagestan. I'm not sure about Moscow, but it seems to me at least one or two. I mean, there was the incident in Ryazan outside of Moscow where um, the woman found... FSB guys actually with FSB place, plates placing sacks of Gixagon plastic explosives in the basement yeah, she, of the building. Yeah, she got the number plates yeah. and everything, right? Yeah. And they had yeah. to come out, the FSB had to come out and say, it was a training exercise, good job, good job, now shut up. And then um, <laughs> other people who tried investigating it wound up getting killed. And yeah. So, you know, there, but but on the other hand, Andrei Soldatov, who's a very anti-Putin uh and an excellent reporter um, investigative reporter like one of the best that's out there is still in Russia and still alive he he, he doesn't believe it and there are others who don't believe that they were actually well, behind it well it
1: it know. doesn't have to be active role does yeah. it? it has to be i mean it have, all you have to do is allow it to happen yes exactly and, exactly. and i i think it, it Over here, may well this be, way. <laughs> yeah it may well yeah. be that the FSB allowed it to happen yeah. even when the the units of Chechen um, militants committing these bombings had been penetrated. They they let the bombings go ahead because certainly it did propel Putin to power. Um, 9-11 was the best thing that ever happened to Bush and Cheney Mm -hmm. and allowed them to have their own way and and do a lot of incredibly stupid stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, In general, this kind of attack um, helps anyone in power who is seen as striking back. I mean, the, Mm -hmm. the big person who was hurt by what we were calling terrorism at the time was Jimmy Carter, and that was because Mm -hmm. he had this bizarre habit of being the only pacifist Southern Baptist ever born, Uh, and and he refused to do what would have given him a second term in in, in a heartbeat, which was level a few Iranian cities Mm -hmm. uh, in return for demanding the return of of the American diplomatic hostages. So as long as someone strikes back, the authority is, is strengthened. And Hollande is, is making warlike noises at the moment, so it probably won't hurt him. In fact, it, if you're a mid-level French security official, it gives you the green light to break down a lot of doors that you mm-hmm. know are, are trouble, mm-hmm. but you haven't quite had legal reason to break down before and they've been doing that and they found mm-hmm. supposedly rocket launchers and Kalashnikovs and all kinds of fun little toys that mm-hmm. because they don't have a second amendment are not even legal in france <laughs> such mm-hmm. as their level of repression <laughs> but um i mean one of the weird things I, I found when when i was looking at all this is the incredible history of of People killing each other for ideological reasons in Paris, and you know you can you can go back as far as you want there was they had the, They had this little thing called the French Revolution, which involved a certain amount mm-hmm. of that but I've been looking at the more recent stuff and and some of the things some of the patterns there really surprised me like in in America and I think in the Anglo world in general armenians are are very small potatoes, you know, but mm-hmm. in France, there have been an awful lot of armenian. Attacks by the Armenian secret army, as it called mm. itself, on Turkish diplomats, mm. uh, and you can't blame them. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, That's—it must really be annoying to have a genocide and have nobody notice. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, for decades, Armenians have been killing Turkish officials, you know, just on the theory that justice is reason enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but the, like a lot of the Paris terrorism until the last five years these were directed attacks on individuals holding official positions Mm -hmm. um or or just plain weird just for our listeners entertainment i have to uh i have to list some of the weirder more fun (laughs) paris terrorist incidents such as the attack on a mcdonald's by breton nationalists Uh. in 2000 (laughs) (laughs) apparently mcdonald's is a big threat to Breton national- <laughs> i would have thought like the arrival of the 12th century was the big threat to breton nationalism but apparently not um there was even a, a catholic attack on a theater that was showing the last temptation of christ wow. i don't know that they managed to kill anybody i mean they're, they're a pretty feeble group you're catholic terrorists <laughs> um, but they tried and and everybody else has been in paris Basically, using it as a happy hunting ground for their enemies, while sort of trying to keep the French out of it mm. for, for decades. I mean, Bulgarians, Corsicans, Italians, fascists, anti-fascists, Stalinists, Trotskyists. I think
0: um, Israeli Jews, Israelis, and, and oh, yeah. Arabs. you know, and and German. What,
1: yeah, they've been. Yeah, they, you know, you're right. The, the, the key is,
0: don't mess with the tourism. Don't mess any of the gardens and you know the nice buildings or anything. Just just Keep it quiet, just between you and them. Only bodies, right? And yep. no French people, no tourists, and it's nope. fine. It, it kind of yeah. adds to the spice of the place a little bit.
1: Yep. Settle your differences. Yeah. Keep, keep that that atmospheric, interesting mm-hmm. detail coming, but but don't bother the locals. Much yeah. like what Hunter Thompson said about Vegas, you can do anything you want, but don't don't fuck with the locals. Um, um, and the but what's happened. In the last five years has been very different i mean uh there, a lot of i'm sorry I want
0: to cut what about the the algerian uh bombings in the nineties i see, I remember they were
1: yeah, they were the, uh,
0: putting pipe bombs in trash cans and stuff like that right and in some subways yeah. and
1: yeah, but they never got a body count like the ones from this attack right. i mean it was, it was yeah that was the armed Islamic group uh from Algeria and uh and or algerian intelligence because it was another of these really murky wars um but uh and for
0: another angle on that as well my my french source says that there was a long time sort of um you know, hostility between the French and the Brits because the Brits supposedly cut one of those deals with the Algerian terrorists that, you know, you don't bomb anything in Britain and we'll let you move back and forth and the the French did the same with the IRA. They didn't arrest any IRA people so they were able to kind of move back and forth.
1: Yeah, yeah, there were were a lot of uh, IRA people in France, that's definitely true. Um, And I'm sure there have been under the table deals like that but the, there were a few bloody attacks in, in France before the 2010s the the bloodiest of all was um, by that right wing French officers right. group, the OAE Right. Um, they killed I think about 30 people and wounded uh, another 100 when they blew up a train track and derailed a train uh, in 1961 um, and if you know that Day of the Jackal book, that's basically about the hunt for those people and getting rid of them. And they were hunted down quite brutally because this was like a dispute within the French elite, mm-hmm. and they felt no particular obligation to show mercy to each other mm. because they knew nobody outside was really going to care very much. But that was that was the only mass killing campaign that I've been able to track down in, in the history of French terrorism. There's there's a much stronger tradition of emigres killing rival émigrés and trying not to make too big of a fuss about it. But then it starts to get really messy around 2012. I mean, um, if you remember, the first of these that I recall is uh, Mohammed Merah in Toulouse who started Mm -hmm. killing Jews, Mm -hmm. um, killed a rabbi, rabbi and three French soldiers and three Jewish children as they were going into some uh, Jewish school. Um, and he had sort of the typical history, if there is one, and and to some extent country by country there is, but when you try to do it jihadi in general you can't do it, but country by country you kind of can. Um, he was just kind of an, an ordinary little jerk, you know, mm-hmm. he was kind of a petty criminal, not in a big way, um, liked cars. Like to show off, um, and then um, he just decided to go out in a blaze of glory and start killing Jews. Uh, there, there is a strong Jew killing mm-hmm. uh, pattern to these. Uh, the The guy who uh, who attacked uh, the Jewish museum in Brussels was also a French Muslim um, and a real one of the, one of the nasty ones, a real sadist. Um, uh, but then. There was an attack, a wave of attacks with cars. I mean, cars can be a very serious weapon. Mm. Uh, In Dijon in 2014, uh, someone shouting Allahu Akbar used a car to hit 11 pedestrians. Mm. Uh, And the same thing happened in Nantes a little later. Uh, Another dreary, you know, French city. uh, He hit 10 people shouting the same thing. Um, Then there's the attack on uh, Charlie Hebdo uh, in January 2015. I'm sorry,
0: but the car, you know, it just, it, it can't help. I think we talked about this before, but it reminds me, well, first of all, of course, that's been, I think, one of the weapons in this kind of semi-intifada uh, that's been going on in Israel, but but also in a sort of going postal um, uh, mass killing. I think she killed a few people in Oklahoma, right? She had just gotten fired. From yeah. like Dairy Queen or something, and um, I think
1: it was worse than Dairy Queen, even uh, more local. <laughs> yeah.
0: Wow. And um, and she just took the car and thought it's all over and just started running over people in a homecoming parade or something, right?
1: Yeah, um, it was an Oklahoma State University parade or something, and right. yeah, she killed some grad student from India, I think, and then some alumni couple and some three-year-old child. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. It's it, a weapon. It's, it's a weapon if if you use it as a weapon mm-hmm. i mean yeah not just cars there there was a a palestinian bus driver i think who drove his bus into mm-hmm. a, a, a a bus stop where uh israeli jews congregated mm-hmm. um yeah these are these are large masses of metal moving at yes. uh high speed and they can do a lot of damage um so those were those then there was the Ebdo attack. Mm-hmm. Then there was a really interesting attack, an attempted attack on a train in August 2015, mm-hmm. which, as you may have heard, was foiled. They used that word a lot by uh, three heroic American clean cut ex servicemen. And I don't even want to say that ironically. They mm-hmm. were clean cut American ex servicemen and they did a great job. Mm-hmm. And, um, pleased with him. They jumped this guy carrying a Kalashnikov down the corridor of a train going from Brussels to Paris uh, and disarmed him before he could kill anybody. And that guy was also from Molenbeek, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, that suburb of Brussels which mm. produces an unusual number of jihadis. He'd been staying with his sister in Molenbeek before he uh, launched out on his train-killing career. Um, and that was supposedly planned too uh, by Abaoud, uh, the mm-hmm. so-called mastermind of these things, who has deep links to Molenbeek. Although Abaoud himself is from a higher uh, social class, he went to an elite high school mm-hmm. in downtown Brussels. These guys are more his vassals mm-hmm. than his equals. Um, it does tend to
0: happen and, that way. It doesn't yeah, mean, yeah. You need Laden a and, and, yeah.
1: Yeah, you need a middle class or even upper class uh, planner. Uh, And then you need some guys who are willing to throw their lives away. And if you've got that combination, you can do a lot of damage.
0: Well, it's interesting because his choice of targets, I mean, clearly, uh, whoever chose the targets uh, for last Friday's attack, I mean, knew, knew France pretty well, knew Paris pretty well, knew the different kinds of crowds. Fairly well, I would think. I mean, mm-hmm. these were mm-hmm. these were basically Williamsburg. I mean, basically they attacked Williamsburg. They attacked a, a soccer stadium where the where the le- French uh, leaders were, and then they attacked essentially like a Williamsburg area. Um, Tell me what Williamsburg. Well, means. So Williamsburg is, is like the young hipster Brooklyn oh, area okay. where yeah, it's all the bars and the nice cafes and the the, the indie you know concert venues and uh, and every hipster in the country usually with the rich parents. Wants to live there and Vice Magazine's headquarters is there and so on and so forth. So okay. um, this part of the 10th, 11th, in DC Simons are are basically Williamsburg of, yeah. of Paris. And, um, and I, I mean, I don't know. We will find out more about it and how much that was actually delivered. I mean, I'm kind of assuming it was. Um, and how deliberately they targeted like an indie concert. But, it, I mean, it does also fit in sort of the profile that we've, we've talked about earlier of a jihadi, which is a, um, a, a resentful, angry, jerk nerd, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, those are yeah. the people you would want to kill. Um, I mean, when you're, when you're talking about how deliberate the targets are and these great, you know, mastermind political plans, it's going to trigger this and then that. No, these are the people maybe they wanted to kill, And it felt good killing them because they were losing somewhere else. And it was kind of that simple.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, these are, yeah, I, 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 as I said, I don't find it that hard to understand. If you think of the beginning of any horror movie you ever saw, it starts with the uh, quarterback and the prompt Mm -hmm. queen sitting in a convertible in a place they shouldn't be. And uh, there's no denying that most of the little jerks in that theater are going, oh, God, they're going to get it. They're going to get it. Yeah. it's very common feeling.
0: Yeah. Um, so, how would you um, rate this? You know, because we've you you've been really right on ISIL um, as you, I mean, you basically called it that they were going to lose on the battlefield. You know, even to a, a tiny beleaguered um, uh, the Kurdish um, uh, militia, uh, woman led militia, and um, and they did, and they they just do seem to. They do seem to not have a whole lot of luck when they when they face sort of any I don't know in any kind of pitch battle of any sort, right? Um, and uh, but but they're really uh, impressive as opportunists. Uh, yeah,
1: they're very they're very good at, at some things, and especially at shifting fronts, and, mm-hmm. and that's what we've seen with the Paris attack. I mean, they're getting hammered in Syria and Iraq because things are finally starting to move in Iraq. The Peshmerga, the um, Sort of middle class Kurds, as opposed to the socialists in Syria, have done a pretty disappointing job so far. But they're finally starting to move. They took back Sinjar, so yeah. That,
0: but but when, even there, I'm sorry to but you yeah. know I was wondering why didn't they take it earlier? Well, because you always want to save your men. I mean, it's a yeah. it's a Maoist strategy. Why would you go after them?
1: Yeah, you yeah, would yeah.
0: lose men. You're only going to go when you know that these guys have been pulverized, and then they're going to finally leave. I mean, ISIL has been kind of stupid in that sense. Like, they put way too many men, they, they got their asses kicked in Kobane. Yeah. And, um, um, I mean, that was actually, that showed how stupid they could be, right? That they kept yeah. throwing everything into that. Peshmerga wouldn't have. They'd have just gone somewhere else and yep. waited for another day. Any smart guerrilla group would have.
1: Yeah, well, I, th- I think one thing it showed is if we're being more generous, is that Islamic State, has a surplus of not very mm-hmm. valuable manpower, and and you know they they don't particularly mind uh, throwing it away in order to keep their deal with say Erdogan for example, like mm-hmm. saying, "Look, we tried to take Kobani like you right. told us to, we lost three thousand men doing us doing it. Give us a break, yeah, uh, because they can spare those three thousand men. They weren't particularly valuable. There right. are a few people who are valuable in Islamic State, but not most of them are just you know young and dumb. Um, so um, they they. Been losing in power in, in uh, Iraq and Syria they switched the front to Paris they they're very good at switching fronts mm-hmm. uh, and they're very good at, at exploiting weakness even on their own side like uh, the Daily Beast in its highly disingenuous and melodramatic coverage of what's going on in Syria said Russian air campaign failing Islamic state gains turf <laughs> yep yeah, well they gained it from the others Sunni militias that the Russian uh, Air Force had obliterated, mm. because they have no qualms at all about attacking other Sunni militias with, that have been weakened um, by attacks from Shia or, or other forces. Right. They're always very good at uh, that kind of conscience-free move, where you where you just uh, grab a rival's territory. And... Paris is just another example of that. You know, they're they're losing on what they see as the caliphate, their their main front, the caliphate in the Middle East. Um so and, and they lost their their logo, their their face, um uh, Muhammad al Mwazi. And so they uh administer a big slap. And and it was a big slap. It really seemed to hurt the French, and that's easy to understand, but to draw back and look back, look at it a little more cold-bloodedly I don't think it will do very much I mean we, we've seen cities operate with a level of casualty and I don't mean to speak cold-bloodedly here but we've seen cities you know like in World War II where the so-called glorious allies were trying to kill as many civilians as they possibly could and those Japanese and European cities survived mm-hmm. uh, you can kill an awful lot of civilians and ruin a lot of families' lives, but you're not going to destroy the entity, mm-hmm. um, the, the city itself. And I, I just kept looking for an example where where that had happened, where, where the attacks did something powerful. And the only real example I can find is Madrid, 2004, when there was a really nasty series of uh, metro bombings um, that killed about 191 people, I think, mm-hmm. by an Al-Qaeda uh, group and uh, that brought down the government but that, as I said, was because they they told a stupid lie they mm. blamed the Basques um, and the reason they blamed the Basques is that this party, the PP was an enthusiastic partner of GWB's invasion of uh, Iraq and uh, that was a dumb decision in the first place and they blamed the Basques to try to tell people this has nothing to do with the fact that we're sending a few troops to Iraq. And of Mm -hmm. course it did. And they paid the price for that. They were booted out at the next election, but, uh, I don't know. I don't remember.
0: We, we, we sent them off with a sort of fuck you to like, Oh, you can't handle this This is all it takes. We shouldn't even have these friends. Anyway, we were real dicks. I mean, everyone
1: was being awfully dickish in those years. I mean, there, you've seen a lot of, uh, facebook posts about uh how the american political elite now loves france and it's like uh, excuse me joke. what about freedom fries what I happened know. with freedom fries what happened with the cheese eating surrender monkeys yeah
0: no and and, and i, I recalled again actually um warner uh, tweeted out again that excellent article from the exile um from a little over a decade ago glory to france and and france's yeah. great glorious martial tradition going back you know yeah many hundreds of years um so um you know i hate to ask this question but everybody wants to know if there's any possible way of answering and if there isn't just tell me but what do you do now what do you do about ISIL? what and what do you do if you're france or the u.s
1: well yeah um there aren't really very many jihadis given the possibilities. I mean, there are about a billion Sunni Muslims in the world and their population that skews fairly young. Given that, there are not very many jihadis. And uh, Yeah, you
0: said you're surprised how few actually yeah. you know, given all this reputation and all the bad propaganda about, you know, Islam and yeah. so on, that they're actually remarkably not into fighting and killing compared not at to all. other people yeah.
1: yeah no the the uh, Belgian Muslims have the highest per capita rate and as I said that rate is one in every 1,300 which is not a very high rate mm-hmm. so I think there isn't really a glamorous clever strategy right now but I think attrition will wear down the networks faster than it will wear down the countries that they're attempting to attack uh, I I see it as being much easier to uh, put away a few hundred um, angry nerds than to close down Paris for good. Um, and I I think that will eventually happen. I mean, for a while, Islamic State was a good deal for a certain kind of mm-hmm. lo- loser that, that I admit I find it quite easy to understand. Um, you go from being nobody to being uh, what you can delude yourself into thinking is some kind of heroic knightly figure. But as, a real life, as,
0: like a, you play these games uh, where yeah. you get to shoot people everywhere. You can do dark shit. You can rape. Uh, you know, like yeah. uh, you, get, you, you can yeah. buy
1: and sell female captives. Yeah. there's there's a very atavistic sadomasochistic side to this that. That can't be ignored. I mean it's either I mean,
0: it's it's that or be um, a frustrated uh uh twenty year old, sort of despised by the the local Belgian population yeah, or whatever. Not even persecuted, just yeah. ignored. Just sort of ignored and despised and you sit there in your parents' place getting yelled at while you're trying to just play fucking, <laughs> you know, um one of your games and uh and then you have to go to some shitty part time job yeah. um, you know, scooping ice cream for assholes. Um it's is that or I mean, death just isn't real at that age. It's no, four, it isn't really it. isn't. Yeah. It,
1: it's one of the strange things about getting old is that you value your worthless old carcass more <laughs> as it becomes more worthless. And back then when it was a carcass worth having, you would yeah. have thrown it away for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I wish yeah. I had that carcass back. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, youth wasted on the youth, as they say. Yep, yep. yep. So, um, the trouble is, though, that um, the people who got in early... I mean, Islamic State has been compared to a pyramid scheme, and I think, although it can easily be pushed too far, that's a reasonable comparison in some ways. The people who got in early did really well out of it. Uh, eventually, the enemy adapts, and that works on both sides of of the struggle. the um, The Kurds adapt. The Shia Iraqis adapt. Uh, Assad gets help from Russia. Things start to move. The American and Russian air forces are competing to see who can kill you. The odds change and they're not as good anymore uh, I think the odds have already changed in fact and yeah. most of the the best of Islamic state is gone uh, we saw this in Moscow remember with mm-hmm. the Chechens the Chechens yeah. seemed like an unstoppable force in Moscow and yeah. eventually they all died mm-hmm. you know they, and those
0: were really those. good fighters those were yeah. genuinely good fighters yeah yeah the Russians adopted they they got a lot better. I mean, things don't say the same always. That's right. one of the stupid mistakes I think you make. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people in this country, especially sort of the Cold War or neocon they still can't get over the fact that Russia is not the Russia of Boris Yeltsin, which right. is a laughing stock, which gets kicked around by anybody, um, which which you know would lose an a, award to the Jamaican bobsled team, let alone to the, <laughs> to the uh, Chechens. I mean, it was it was embarrassing and painful and, and horrible. I mean, I, I found it. I don't know. I, I a lot of it was was painful, and you knew this thing was going to bounce back at some point. Yeah. In fact, I, I remember Georgians telling me that especially in some others, like, the, you don't understand the Russian bear. It's going to it's gonna come back, and they're going to remember all of this. I remember mostly it were Georgians telling me this in the, in the 90s, um, and, and they were right. And, yeah, they went, and they methodically, the second time around, they borrowed a bunch of different tactics. They learned from their mistakes. They were battle-hardened against the best fighters pretty much in the world. Yeah. Um, and they did some really ugly shit. They learned from stuff we did, and, I mean... You know, as much as you can possibly, quote-unquote, win a war like that, um, they did.
1: Oh, yeah. No, they, yeah, they won. I mean, the, the place is under control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, life may not be very pleasant for the inhabitants, but that's never the point of a counterinsurgency mm-hmm. campaign. You're not trying to make them happy. You're trying to make them not a problem. And as far as I know, Chechnya is not a problem for Moscow anymore. Dagestad I mean, problem,
0: but. right. Yeah, I mean, some of the other regions are, but, like, um, it's just the odd every now and then a terrorist bombing happens, but like, yeah. um, it takes a lot to rattle Russians and that's yeah. the thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I, I think the, the number of willing jihadis is much less than the number of mm-hmm. Chechen insurgents. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the, I think eventually the, the prospect of becoming a warlord will seem less probable. The prospect of becoming, uh, drone hamburger will seem a lot more probable
0: mm-hmm. uh, and the, and the idea of working at a winchell's will seem a lot more <laughs> better you know or something so yeah um, but I, I realize that we're way over time i mean by the normal time which should be fine this is a special show um, and uh, once again i want to thank all of our subscribers you guys pushed us past the mark this is a special show for you and if and if you're one of the people listening who hasn't subscribed Go to the Warnerd page on Patreon. You know, Patreon is P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com. Um, and subscribe to the Warnerd show. Uh, we're going to switch over next month from paying per show to monthly. So if you pay what would be starting next, uh, if you pay now $5 a show, but which will next month be $10 a month, you'll also get a special Warner newsletter. They've been great so far, a personal um, heartbreaking and uh, just great great uh, newsletters from the Warnerd directly into your email box These are only by subscription um, and again, thanks to all of you guys for for growing the warnerd the uh, uh, podcast um, and uh, and thanks also to Pando um, our day job employer for for backing us and uh and so also check us out at Pando. My name is Mark Ames. I'm with the Warnerd. uh Gary Brecher, a.k.a. John Dolan. And do you have anything else you want to say before we sign off?
1: Well, I, I want to say thanks to Mark Ames as well for being sure. such a great interviewer and interlocutor and inter all of that. And, um, yeah, and thanks to Paul Carr for helping us all this time. Mm-hmm. And uh, thanks very much to all the subscribers. I mean, the, the generosity of, of our subscribers has been a, a, a really pleasant surprise i
0: know and it's um I like i said it, it it makes me think maybe peace is not a bad thing but <laughs> yeah. I, what are we going to do the peace nerd you know there's <laughs> there be enough was, of that where's yeah. the fun of that, that. Yeah. yeah um okay all right well thanks a lot and good luck out there I, in uh, budapest hopefully you'll um be there for a while
1: i hope so okay right.
0: bye-bye, bye-bye.